1: All Things in the Name of Love with your host, Dr. Erica Reesberg, Episode 29, Inner Callings, How Each of Us Matters, and the Importance of Community with Dr. Kim Smith. Today joining me is the amazing and beautiful soul, Dr. Kim Smith. I had the opportunity to meet Kim a couple months ago at a Conscious Capitalism meeting where she was the speaker and she blew my socks off. There was a thunderstorm going on outside, and I love thunderstorms, and I wasn't even aware of it because I was so transfixed by what she was saying. So that's my introduction for the conversation I'm having with Kim. So Kim, tell me what you said. You don't have to tell me exactly what you said, but what... What do you do that can cause that kind of inspiration for someone like me? Oh, oh my
2: goodness, that is a big question. Thank you. <laughs> I think that. Well, <laughs> great start. No pressure. Um, yeah, the conscious <laughs> capitalism. Uh, that was a great experience with a lot of business leaders in the community and folks who were thinking about how to rework economic systems to to be more socially aware, to be more ethical. And so I was sharing the story of the power of collective impact and how we can collaborate together across sectors focused specifically on sustainability education and the power of public awareness and the ability to increase engagement in our communities through through formal education as well as non-formal education so maybe that's not sounding as inspiring, but I, I really was excited to have the chance to, to let folks know about, about the Greater Portland Sustainability Education Network and our work with the United Nations through a model that UNESCO and United Nations University has created. So you want to hear the big acronym? Yes. <laughs> let's, let's all say it together. So United Nations University created a social experiment in 2005 called Regional Centers of Expertise on Education for Sustainable Development. And it was a whole decade dedicated through UNESCO to Education for Sustainable Development, or ESD. And they were recognizing communities. They were having communities around the world apply and demonstrate how they were doing good work, how they were working together and creating connections to empower people to make a difference. And uh, so in 2013, Portland applied, and I should step back, I'll say this piece here. 2012, how I actually got involved, I was representing ACI, which is the Association for the Advancement of Sustainability in Higher Education. And the UN was hosting uh, the Rio Plus 20 Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro, and I was representing ACI there to help advocate for the power of education to have a sustainable future. So that's the start date, really, if, unless okay. you go back into education, my work at Portland Community College. The work with GYPSEN, the work with the UN, when I got back to Portland, I, I asked people, I was asking leaders from universities and nonprofits and government, what would it be like if we actually created a network like this? Would you like to do this? And Metro and City of Portland and Portland Community College and Portland State, Northwest Earth Institute, lots of groups signed letters of support, identified how we're collaborating and what we could do to scale up our impact. And we wrote this big application in 2013 and got accepted. Now, at the time, I don't even remember what the number was, probably around 100 or 120 maybe um, RCEs in the world. And now we're at 168. Nice. Yes. So lots of networks around the world. Um, Seven in the United States. And I have dedicated my life in addition to teaching sociology, I I mentor RCEs and I work with regions mm. to help them develop relationships and connect the dots to scale up impact.
0: Mm.
2: Yeah, and That's... next week I'm heading to Arizona, so I'm really excited to have Arizona join if we can and the last group that joined was in North Texas, and before wow. that Georgetown, uh, South Carolina and uh, Atlanta, Georgia. So, good stuff wow. happening. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Thank you.
1: So, talk. We don't have to say all 17, but like the Rio de Janeiro. Uh, I remember you passing out this, this amazing list of the 17 goals for 2030. That, that's what really inspired me to say, come up to you and say, what can I do to help you?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, so what emerged, thank you. So, I was focusing on the RCEs. Yeah. So, the RCE is just one program on the local regional level to do sustainability work, right? Mm
0: -hmm. But
2: out of Rio came this beautiful aspirational plan for how to have a sustainable future. And the future we want turned into a document agenda 2030 that includes 17 goals, 17 sustainable development goals that every country on the planet signed onto all Mm -hmm. world governments to address issues of poverty, hunger, health, right, all the social goals, education, gender equality, then economic and equity goals around sustainable cities and work, and then all the environmental goals, which includes climate action, right, uh, oceans and life on land. We can also put these into five P's if that's helpful. People, okay. prosperity, it's, I usually say people, planet, prosperity, peace, and partnerships. Mm. So what's happening, and when I was talking about ESD for 2030, which was and is the topic, really, I think the opportunities for all of us now, that was the topic of campus, cap- the um, conscious capitalism talk, is this new plan. And what they have discovered of the 17 goals, number four is education. Mm-hmm. There are 169 indicators or targets to get to those goals, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And 4. Seven is education for sustainable development. And I encourage your listeners to look up ESD and you'll find this incredibly long set of goals to basically inspire people to have peace and partnership and become global citizens and save the world. Which is <laughs> so amazing. Like, yeah, it's, a lot. it's amazing and it's beautiful and it's a lot of pressure on teachers. Yeah. And in the, re- in the reality, what we have been exploring since 2015 is that we're not going to achieve any of the sustainable development goals without education. Mm -hmm. So we have with UNESCO, there's going to start a new decade. The one before again, went from went until 2015, actually 2014, we are now starting a decade 2020 to 2030 focused on how we can reorient all of our work towards a sustainable future to help achieve the sustainable development goals. 2030, you've got 11 years, not a lot of time. You know, they, again, some of the goals, a lot of people are like, it's not even possible. It's if we at least make progress, that's great. I don't think we should always try to be perfect. We should at (laughs) least have a vision for a better world and take steps together to get there.
1: I don't know. I kind of want to, I kind of want to (laughs) tame (laughs) them. I mean, And that's, that's what it like, I remember sitting in that meeting and coming up to you afterwards. And after I got over the, I know you for some reason, and we're going to be friends. (laughs) <laughs> was this, this need. It wasn't uh oh, this would be cool to do. My, my, my whole soul was yelling at me saying, do something. And that doesn't happen very often with me. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Huh. So well, I'm a, I'm a passionate person, but like, I don't get the, I don't even know what I could do, but I have to do this.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah, this, these are all things that have been, actually felt like callings to me. You know, even when I went off to graduate school and thought that I was going to get my, pay, or my master's in public policy focusing on environmental policy and international environmental policy, an advisor said, no, 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 go get your PhD in sociology and a minor in environmental policy and get to do the School of Public and Environmental Affairs at IU, okay? Indiana University absolutely never in my dreams what I've imagined I would have been, you know, ended up in the Midwest in grad school doing this work and all of this path opened the door opened, And I, that I felt myself being drawn. Like I saw Mm -hmm. this this light in the future of what I had to do.
0: Mm -hmm. And,
2: and then realizing then in terms of this cord of light that my professors at the time, they were all at Rio, the original UN summit in right in 1992 those were my professors <sighs> and yeah and I in fact just a couple of days ago I received a really nice invitation to connect back with SPIA the School of Public and Environmental Affairs and let them know how this journey has emerged and mm-hmm. what their graduates are up to and so I'm, I'm excited to talk with them and oh, I'll be yeah. doing the same thing in college I went to my undergrad was Whitman they've invited me to come back and be a lecturer in October And part of that is about telling students, you know, this is who you can be (laughs) when you grow up. Now, did I know that? Did I, you know, when I was a freshman in college, I thought I was pre-med and and doing this very different life than I thought, but every bit of it feels, I don't know, not like necessarily ordained or, or predestined, but definitely when I listened to the energy that kind of when a door opened and I felt courageous enough to walk through it. I, I could tell that that was the right step for me and then trusted that it was going in the direction that was going to make a difference, that my life had purpose and that I, I needed to be a part of a movement. Like the energy had to be flowing forward. I don't do well when doors shut. <laughs> I don't do so well with obstacles because I don't, I really love it when energy's is flowing.
1: Mm-hmm. I get that.
2: Then I try to figure out. Okay, that's maybe that's saying that we're supposed to go a different direction and just be patient and just kind of hold space until the next clear message comes through.
1: Hmm. I I have a tendency when when I take a leap, my mind because I like to say I'm a recovering academic. <laughs> uh, my mind wants to figure it out. Hmm. I love figuring stuff out. I'm a puzzle solver, and when I take big leaps, I can't because I don't have all the pieces and the pieces will come if I allow myself to open up to them.
2: So do you want to like do a bunch of research and find the data before you can make the perfect decision or what is this academic part of you want to do?
1: Well, the academic part doesn't come like, I'll make the decision because like I'll have that calling and then I'll have the freak out. Oh, (laughs) well, I got to find out. so, So yesterday, um, So I'm actually a fellow with gypsum. And yesterday I I received, I haven't, I'm working with another fellow to help me write a grant. And he had said, you might want to get some backup information to support your, your argument. I'm sitting in the airport and I go into full blown research and I'm finding articles left and right. And I'm downloading, I'm sending them to myself. And I'm going, okay, well, now I figured out everything else, because now I have direction. Mm -hmm. And when I was writing the grant, I'm like, this is what I want to do. This is a rough draft. I have no idea what what it is that I need for the language, because Mm -hmm. I haven't written a grant like this before. I've written grants, but I haven't written a sustainability grant, because I've just done it at home. (laughs) It's my own personal journey. I haven't had to write a grant for it. So being open to the suggestions, like, okay, here's, here's, a, here's something that needs to be beefed up. That's the focus I need. And that's such a better use of my skills than me just like glomming onto one thing and spinning around and not having direction.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, let me congratulate you for being oh. one of our new and Fellows. I'm very excited about that. And, and I'm Thank hoping you. that the structure and the fact that you then now have this group of other experts, scholars who are interested in their own specific issues can share wisdom or share resources and, and uh, feedback in that case for working on your grant. Yeah. So your focus is on helping address toxic cleaning supplies in, live, in apartment buildings, right? In residential right. buildings?
1: And, and probably corporate buildings too, but I'm starting with residential buildings, right. like apartment buildings.
2: Okay. So this is a great example. So if we can take like connecting the dots again of how your your work matters, that you matter. Each of us matters. Every person who's listening to this podcast, we all have things that we're interested in. We each have different ways that we can make a difference as small as, you know, not having a plastic straw, right? Getting a steel straw, something small or going to the big levels of, you know, creating new organizations or creating new policies. On the, all the way up to the 17 goals, you are connecting in with a couple different ones because that's an issue of health, mm-hmm. right? That's an issue of equity. Because I know that one of the fellows was commenting on this might be a greater issue in poorer communities yeah. and what would mean to address that uh, on a social class level. But the other piece, it's goal, let's see, 15 is life on land and mm-hmm. it's looking the impact we have on the environment, the impact we have um, on other species, but also, you know, on the land, right? On Mm -hmm. plants and insects and all of our, the toxins we have in our, in our homes how it affects our own health, but also the the environment. So your, your work is part of this whole puzzle, right? It's like, we can't put all the pressure on ourselves to solve all the world problems. I spent a lot of time and I did this. I probably did this with you guys, right? Didn't you do the cleaning up, you know, like kind of the Reiki cleaning off your shoulders,
0: mm-hmm.
2: Right. And I ask everybody, please take the weight of the world off your shoulders. It's, it's so much lighter when each of us, you know, connect our hands together and lift together.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
2: but all of our work is a part of the puzzle. So you right. If you're connecting in, you can see the purpose helps address, you know, you could say, even in this grant, right, goal three, goal seven, I think, you have to look at the numbers. Yeah. And and then, of course, 15. So that's just a way to say, here's big picture. Let's not get overwhelmed by these very, very large goals. We have to say, each of us is doing a piece of it. So we did, I know we also played SDG bingo, yep. right? development goal bingo was a way to for each of us to say these are things I'm working on or I know an organization that is working on these issues Mm -hmm. you know we know people in Portland for sure who are working on renewable energy we know people for sure who are working on transportation right these are things that are happening um all around us in such a sustainable city but there's still a lot to do
1: yeah well I know for me like I think it was Four or five years ago, I read this book about the toxins in the home and I was auditioning for it. And I got like two pages into it and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to take this book out from the library. I finished it, I tossed out all of our cleaning products. Now I know I probably shouldn't have, I should have probably brought them to a place where I could recycle them in some way. But at the time I was just like, we're not having this in the house anymore. And, And Steven comes home and he's like, what happened? Like, here's the book, blame it on the book, because it was just like uh, this awareness that just just hit me. Like, oh my gosh, I'm using these toxic chemicals and I'm not breathing as clean as I could. And and so I've gotten really, really clean with what I use to clean the house. And it's morphed into, okay, now I have three TerraCycle boxes to help recycle different levels of plastic. I compost because I'm, I don't want to put that into the land, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to contribute to the overwhelming amount of trash we have. So I'm going to compost and I'm trying to get to zero waste. And I think to myself, well, I live in a building that uses pine salt, that uses artificial diffusers, like diffusers with artificial chemicals on them to make them, make the place smell better. And it doesn't, it actually hurts my lungs. And I realize I feel like I'm, I'm kind of a canary in a coal mine. And yet I know I'm not like, I'm just, I'm just more sensitive because I'm not exposed to it, which is a healthy thing because I'm not exposed to it. So like, what can I do to share what I've learned to help others who aren't either aware of, or don't know where to turn to, to bring that greater awareness in.
2: Right. And that's one of the things that, you know, again, the if you say it backwards, it's easier to even remember. We're a network using sustainability education, create a greater Portland. And we were tr- we've in, in the network power. It's to connect people who have interests, right? With others mm-hmm. who have resources. And so that's one reason, you know, to connect you with Betty Shelley and, the um, Reduce Your Waste project, and also with the Eco Challenge. And you participated in that this summer, yes. right?
1: Yes. And and the sad part was I was traveling a lot, so I couldn't play it as much as I wanted to, but it was really fun.
2: Yeah. And it's part of this process of, of making a commitment, being accountable. So let me just explain the Eco Challenge model, because it is an opportunity for us this October, but also just a little bit of the journey. So Northwestern in The Northwest Earth Institute is now known as EcoChallenge.org because it created this online, like psychological experiment to a degree. They did all this research and found that people will, can change their habits, can change their behavior if they're able to practice something for at least two weeks, whatever that is for us, right? Anything across the board, if we can just make a commitment and try something in addition to making a public statement, you know, I'm going to work on this and then throw in the power of games you know so there's like rewards and things like that and then also group dynamics so years ago i'm trying i think it's at least eight years seven or eight years now that my students in my environmental sociology class my social change classes have had teams and then we have then with gypsum we've done that rc these rces these regional centers around the world through united nations university there were a lot that created Eco Challenge teams and started competing against each other, even around the world, which was a lot of fun. But my own behaviors, because I started consciously having the, the awareness, but also these resources, these tools that started coming through the Eco Challenge best practices, I was doing it simple. I still do this to this day. And it was, you know, sometimes I go big, sometimes I go small. This one was I'm wasting water every time. I take a shower by letting the water heat up, right? Mm. And the ED of Northwest Earth Institute said, hey, just put a bucket under the water and then collect that. And then I'll know how much water I'm wasting, but also then I can use that water and then it's, right? It was such mm. a idea. But now I always have a bucket by my shower and I use that water for all kinds, of watering the plants and everything, right? That's awesome. That was awesome. But it was, and it was simple, right? But I know- right. Every single day I can say this or, you know, whatever, however many times one takes a shower, you say, this is how much water I've saved. And so from that level to putting on solar panels on my home, you know, much more of a commitment, but right. still that was commitment when I was ta- when I did the energy one. So I've chosen water, I've chosen energy, I've chosen toxins this summer, what you and I were doing in the whole around the world. Oh my gosh, how many people participated? 20, close to 25,000 people, I think at least. Oh, awesome. But I'm going to have to go back and look at the numbers. But the I'm sure I'm underestimating. But that was plastics. The plastic-free challenge was yep. so hard. Oh, my gosh. Everywhere, right? All around us.
1: And that, that's one of my goals is to get plastic-free. And it's just so freaking daunting.
2: It's pretty, it's pretty impossible. But it is, there are many, many things we can do to improve. Yeah. So, and then in the spring, it was drawdown the drawdown eco challenge. And that was working with the climate challenge and anything around things we could do to decrease our carbon footprint. Mm. So it's, at each turn, you know, it's not every single season has one, but the big one, the big global movement each fall is the people's eco challenge. So I encourage folks to look, go to ecochallenge.org. It's October 2nd to October 23rd. So that this time it's gonna be three weeks to try to see how we can change behavior.
0: Mm.
2: And again, you just pick a couple things that are, that are something that are interesting to you, right? And what, something else they've added in that I love is that you can mark what you're already doing because part of the, the benefit is just to, co- again, this collective impact. How do we know what people are doing? People, How do we share our stories? You know, you're sharing stories, increasing public awareness through this podcast, through your work, hopefully now through your your new project. But this is something that we all need to, have the data to show what kind of impacts we're doing. I really love it when we measure what we're doing well, not what we're. You know, we we certainly need to measure our footprints and our eco footprint or carbon footprint.
0: Mm-hmm. But
2: In general, that's measuring what we're doing wrong. It's also very very valuable to measure what we're what we're doing right. Yes. So anyway, putting in a plug for the People's Eco Challenge. If you want, we you know we're going to have a gypsum team. People can join that team. They can join teams. It, or they can do it on their own, but it's more fun to be in a group. You, they can do workplace, you can do a classroom, you can, you know, be a faith group, but gypsum has their own. And uh so I don't know if you're gonna start your own or you wanna be a part of ours.
1: I'm definitely gonna be a part of yours. Because okay. I'm part of gypsum now.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was
1: gonna say you don't <laughs> say yours, you can just say ours. 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 Which is mm-hmm. amazing. And and you know the thing that I love is that For me, going to that meeting and hearing you talk, it it gave me an ability to take things that I do now. So take something I'm already doing and share it with others. That's a big thing for me because I'm not a teacher in the traditional sense, but I have that teaching and sharing, connecting stuff that you do. Because I want to it's like I don't need to hold on to this knowledge, I want to share it, I want to learn from other people, and I want to make sure that we're all able to have access. I can't force anyone to do anything, but if I can provide the resources for anyone to use, if they so choose to use it, that's amazing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: so yeah that's that's where my motivation is. It's like what what are the skills I have that I can share? With others and help them awaken and and you know for this sustainable idea I have for apartment buildings I want to develop a template so that any mm-hmm. building that wants to do this can scale it to you know where they are and where they want to go but they have because so I think part of the thing is is like our, in our society we're overwhelmed typically yes. unless we really actively try not to be overwhelmed, we get overwhelmed because there's so much stimulus. And so if I can provide something that helps minimize that overwhelm, that would be amazing.
2: Well, and that's a really amazing, t- it's, a good, it's a good word, amazing. What what amazes us, what, what touches our hearts and gives is awe-inspiring. So mm-hmm. what I'm hearing too is the power of creating something that can be replicated that is scalable things that you know you can do your individual work but the fact that you want to turn it into a template the fact that Betty Shelley and, and many others were going home to home even when they first started mm-hmm. the eco you know they would do these you could go and host an eco party and they would do an audit of your home like I was you know you're self-conscious because they you know the people <laughs> would, they open up your cupboards and they're like let's see what you have under here that's a toxic oh, chemical um, but it was, but it, it, again, it was just a, a, you made yourself vulnerable. So you could, you know, learn from each other and then get, have received uh, alternative ideas on how to, you know, in that case, it was definitely toxic cleaning supplies, but also ideas around composting, like you said, and recycling and, and energy in our home. So, but it wasn't just hey, let's have one party here, one party there. You mm-hmm. they created a program and then it got integrated into Metro and then it, right. So scaling up, scaling up you're, you're starting that journey. And, you know, go as big as you can and taking the knowledge you've gained and and sharing that beyond your own household. I mean, that's how social change happens.
1: Yeah. And, and having that, that opportunity to do so is just such a beautiful thing. And I think, I think some people really want to do more and they just don't know where to start. Yeah.
2: Well, I'll tell you the, so grateful. I'm so grateful for PCC, Portland Community College has created so many different programs that have helped me transform my teaching. And -hmm. one of those is the service learning program or Mm community-based learning. It's now called CBL. And so I used to feel like just learning can be really depressing. And, Mm -hmm. and in fact, a lot of the issues that we're facing in our world can be almost debilitating. Right. Right. And the overwhelming scales of change of crisis, and, and humans can, on a psychological level, for our own self-care, shut down, maybe become fatalistic or cynical. I teach social problems. I, I have to, from the core of my being, mm. use that, use education in an ethical way and hopefully in an inspirational way. So what I did through this journey of trying to be an effective teacher, which then led to scaling up to being a co-founder of Gypsum, was to create this motto, educate, empower, engage. We have to learn about the issues. We have to dig into the dark parts of of issues, right? Because you've got to get to the root causes. I don't sugarcoat my teaching, Mm -hmm. but I do take it through the lens of let's learn about it and let's learn about solutions. Learn about how people can make a difference, that they are able to make a difference. We look at groups that are doing things all over the world, That are making setting up systems, or, or, you know, working with children, or working with poor communities, or, or changing a a business from within. Each of those seeing examples that people can make a difference is very empowering, Mm -hmm. and then creating pathways for people to engage. So when people say, "I'm learning about these things, but I don't know what to do," "I don't want to learn more because it's making me sad," that creates cycles of cynicism. But you can create cycles of hope when you learn about something, you learn about other ways that people are addressing those problems, and then find ways that you can engage. So Gypsum creates pathways. I know RCEs, but also lots of our nonprofits in our communities. Most likely, other people feel the way you do. You're not Mm -hmm. probably the first person, right, to come up with an idea. So finding ways to connect the dots, to engage, then you have community. And that's always good for our well-being. And then again, we have, we can leverage resources. We can be more efficient when we work together
0: mm-hmm.
2: right? and, and take some of that weight off our shoulders again. So I'm a, I'm a big proponent of, of active hope. I really love Joanna Macy's mm. model. And you know, as a, I, I'm an environmental sociologist and a social movement researcher and activist. I want to create macro social change, but I also have to start from within, you know, Mm -hmm. I like to think about what is it that I'm doing that I need to to sustain myself, to put my oxygen mask on first, right? Before I can help others Mm -hmm. and, and then go out and just see like, what is it that people are doing? Cause I just want to even hear good stories. You know, I need to hear that good people are doing good work Mm -hmm. and then I want to meet them. I really want to hang out with people who have good attitudes <laughs> um, I, think, I think that's a that's a healthy mindset you know it's like it doesn't seem like such a stretch. Just listening to bad news all the time is is truly not going to save the world
1: right and and to have that community of uh, one of the I was at a conference this week and and it was this this thought that I've heard before, but it was pushed into my head again was. You know, who you hang around with is who you're gonna be. Mm-hmm. And so, do you wanna be around people that are uplifting and supportive? Well, I, I think we all want to, but are, are we?
2: Well, I think some people find comfort. I mean, certainly there's comfort in complaining and, and, and you know, I don't mean to just say it in that negative a way, uh, commiserating, right? Mm-hmm. With people. There's a time to say, I'm hurting. That's oh, yeah. okay, right? Yeah. But in terms of getting stuck in it, there are definitely things that we can explore that would be more effective again, in channeling energy forward instead of just spinning in a dark space. What Joanna Macy says and what I, and I just a basic summary from active hope. She's like, you have three choices, right? You got three teams you can join. You either choose business as usual, which we know is not going to solve the problem Mm because we know that that train's going off the cliff or you can hang out with fatalists And it might be lots of fun to, you know, drink craft beer and whiskey and whatever, and and just kind of numb yourself, but that's not going to solve the problem. Or you meet a group of people who have a vision for the future and you make your signs and you march or you, you know, create whatever programs or projects you're wanting to work on as well. For me, it's about creating RCEs. It's about, you know, saying, I believe. In the power of community, mm-hmm. I was really hurt by Donald Trump's speech at the UN. When you know, it's, I don't want to get into a whole
1: Donald Trump. Well, thing, okay, so, but- so no, but 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 this brings up a really cool thing. So Greta Thunberg. Yeah, yeah. I cry when I hear her. Oh yeah. Every single time she makes a speech, I just burst out in tears because it's, it's what resonates with my soul. She is calling us to community. If you hear her and you're not moved, ask yourself why.
2: Yeah. 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 And and I I realized that we were having this exchange with each other too about, you know, I'm going to read your quote. Do you mind if I read it? Oh yeah, definitely. The music started again because I was trying to open up the article that we were referencing. Um, Okay. you said, she is so powerful and I love her message. She humbles me with the strength in her words. Anyone who is in fear can't hear her words, which is why he can't hear. That doesn't diminish the potency of her at all to me. It strengthens her.
0: Yeah.
2: Right. And it strengthens us. So there is this element. What is, what is fear? What is it that she's triggering? What does it mean for some people to feel obsolete or no longer needed in the world, that their, their life world is shifting. And that is scary. There's a place to have compassion
0: Mm -hmm.
2: for people who basically are ideological dinosaurs. Right. Right it's the end of an era it's a scary thing for people to see chi- times change
0: mm-hmm. um
2: and greta is calling us on that she has such clarity in that
0: oh yeah
2: right but what what i added in this article was and, and he so he insulted her trump insulted her and then the world and what i hey i don't hide from the fact that this is a united nations university you know so regional centers of expertise are we Do our work on the regional level. This is not top down. This is not the UN telling us what to do. Right. Absolutely identify what are our own regional needs. What are the resources, you know, what are the challenges we're facing and then how can we work together, but it is also connected in with the idea that we're all global citizens that we are part of a bigger picture and for for him to state to the UN you know, every country just needs to to go on their own, Mm -hmm. when we are living in such an interconnected world with global problems, it's Mm -hmm. not like we can unravel ourselves. And that the the way to be patriotic is, is to focus on the individual. I, of course, freedom uh, of our rights are very key, of course, even with my students, we talk about what it means to have a Bill of Rights. But then we also talk about what, what would it look like to have a Bill of Responsibilities?
1: Well, okay. Yes. So you're just bringing up a thought for me is okay, so so yes, do the individual work. Mm-hmm. Right? Because that's yeah, be an individual in that you know that you have wounds that you'd have to heal. Recognize those wounds, heal them, find modalities that help you to work so that then you can feel the interconnectivity of all. Because when you're in fear, you can't. So work to clear the fear. Which is blocking you from understanding that universal connectivity between us all.
2: Yeah, that's an interesting point. And what are those obstacles? Like we were talking about, what, does, how, what allows energy to flow? Mm-hmm. Fear is a good primal evolutionary adaptation, right? We need to he- listen to fear, but then kind of unpack it and mm-hmm. say, what is it that I'm actually afraid of? And what are the alternatives? Is it possible that what I'm holding on to from the past or, or something now that feels safe, that there's actually a better? alternative. And for all of us, like when we talk about when I talk about this even this idea of bill of responsibilities or a social contract. If we are living in community, if we live in a home with somebody, if we're in relationship with someone, we work together, it's a social contract.
0: Mm-hmm. There
2: are we can say it's my right and I'm free to do anything I want. Well, to a limit, if you're living in communities, there still are things that we agree that we will Somehow balance our rights with other people's rights. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about like one of my favorite theories that I use, and there's a video on this I made with PCC called "The Triumph of the Commons," the tragedy of the commons systems collapse when individuals think that what they do doesn't matter and that they can maximize their own personal benefits, right, and that nobody will notice. But the systems collapse and this is built on Garrett Hardin's classic 1968 article, The Tragedy of the Commons, you can take those same lessons, you can take those same concepts if you flip it upside down. If, and a student is, who brought up this idea in class one day, she's like, wait a second, does not can't this work the other direction? And it's true. When individuals recognize that they do matter, that what they do adds up, that they live in community, and that the commons benefits us all when it's healthy and strong. Mm -hmm. Hey, focus on what's good for you, but know what the true costs are. Know what the true benefits are of a healthy community.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Together, actually, generally are stronger and you will have more resources or you will have enough resources and everyone will have enough. Mm -hmm. um, Well, so when we talk about sustainability, I know a lot of people don't like that word or don't find that to resonate with them. Countries around the world use other terms that sometimes, or regions that, that might resonate better. Well-being, like in Finland, people really love the word well-being.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Some folks say resilience or regenerative. There's, you know, there's different ways of thinking, yeah. what would it look like to thrive? Mm-hmm. And if we think about what that looks like, you know, we all have aspects within us, like fear can immobilize, but fear can also be a catalyst. Can really motivate us to get moving Mm
0: -hmm.
2: we humans are very powerful problem solvers when something really kicks us in the butt and i love looking at catalysts i love looking at things that all of a sudden will shift a paradigm or Mm -hmm. shift a strategy and a classic example is world war ii after pearl harbor the all of the factories retooled themselves to become war machines in four days. Did you know that? That's crazy. So crazy four days, but it just took the political will, and the social will to say we're focusing our attention on this crisis. Yeah. So there are a lot of climate change activists who I'm not going to remember all the names right now, which I feel bad about this one person in particular. Anyway, the idea being that we've done that if with when we see something as a war, so this idea of the uh, climate change as a war, I don't actually want to put it through this negative violent frame, Mm -hmm. but I mean it through the sense of we're collectively going to work together to solve Mm -hmm. a problem.
1: Right. Yep. So it's, it's all making sense. Yeah, Um, it totally is. It totally is because it's, you know, I, my recollection of Chinese history is it's always been the collective over the individual. And I think that was a little too extreme on one end, and now they're on the other extreme of individual to the exclusion of the collective. And I think there can be a healthy balance. I'm just using that as an example. A healthy balance between fully actualizing yourself and recognizing that you're part of something bigger than you.
2: hmm uh-huh. Yeah, well, and that was part of the interesting conundrum, even with the conscious capitalism talk, right? We were talking about it through the lens of capitalism, you know, well, what does that mean to be a democratic socialist or what other economic models exist? What does the genuine progress indicator model mean? What is Mm -hmm. it that, or gross national happiness? What is it that we actually are measuring even to identify a healthy society, Right. So, that's one that I really value with our colleagues through conscious capitalism is that they're they're just trying to come up with some alternative ma- models that can at least, you know, navigate an economic model that traditionally is very focused on greed and profit, and it doesn't have you know, I don't necessarily explore that path as much as I explore things like genuine progress indicators, but I, I do really like that other countries are starting to measure what does a healthy society look like? What does a healthy future look like. And it's not, the GDP does not do an effective job it right. measures what it means to live together. It measures profit and shareholder value. You know, what does internal growth mean? Hey, you know, you live in a finite world. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have to, We're you know, that's a paradigm shift that's coming. And a lot of people have already gotten there. I know we're being a little academic on it, but it is also a spiritual philosophical journey for mm-hmm. us to to see ourselves connected to people by not being dominated by them. This right. is not a call for sur- you know, surveillance or totalitarian systems in any way, mm-hmm. but it is recognizing what does healthcare look like? You know, what does a clean environment, healthy environment, clean water look like? And w- what are all the resources we already have in the United States that are communally owned and managed? hmm from a park to a library, you know, to streets.
1: Right. So it's you know it's in, in the the way that socialism has been marketed, uh, much like the concept of peace, is distorted through that lens of fear, because if we can if we can scare people into thinking they're not going to have all their money. So they can't support socialism, well, where do you think your roads are getting paid from? Where do you think education's getting paid from? Where do you think, those are the two that come to mind, but like your bridges, your, you know, where is this coming from? It's a socialist state, that's where your taxes, that's what your taxes are used use for, is, is to help the greater good.
2: Well, if we just even unpack the word, right, anything is an ism, it just simply is an ideology or a system, right? right social what does it mean to live socially right what's mm-hmm. the social contract capitalism capital it's the own private ownership of capital or communism ism all right it's the ideology com- but community what does it mean yep. to live in community so the things that we can put on a scary thing it's like hey those were ec- those are economic models mm-hmm. then you throw on all the different political systems you know that you can have the totalitarian types of fascist kind of model or surveillance kind of models, or I don't want to call out countries and unpack all of that right now. But the idea of those types of political systems versus, say, a democratic socialist model, those are all different ways of experimenting with how you organize your society to meet your citizens' needs.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: What do we do when we live in an apartment with X number of people and we say, hey, let's split the utility bills this month, right? Right. Hey, Mm -hmm. what does it cost to live in this home together? And who wants to cover this food? Or you know, Mm -hmm. if you're splitting anything or you're sharing space with somebody, you're living a socialist model. Yep. And when you just scale it up, what does it mean to live in this town? Or what does it mean to live in this neighborhood? And uh, you know, all the way up. And so the idea that we have global problems that which require collaboration and partnership—it's really not such a big stretch. But it does mean we have to move away from our id self that only focuses on our own personal needs to the super ego self that lives in community and has a collective conscience that says what is right or wrong and if my actions are hurting others then i need to think about what that means and what is moral what does that mean for future generations right who don't have a vote what does that mean mm-hmm. for other species that are dying because I'm using a product that could be hurting them. Mm-hmm. You know, that's an ethical, moral dilemma. And that's an economic model.
1: I, I know for me, it's been a process of the more I tune in to, to like my, my, my lens is coming from the concept of how do I eliminate violence from my life?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And as I've been on this quest for the past four years, the nuances are becoming more clear. So like how, if I use this product on my skin, I, I use um, a day cream with an SPF 30, I think it is, and it's reef safe.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: yep. I never thought of reef safe when I was a kid. It never occurred, like, well, I grew up in Connecticut, so like we didn't have reefs, but, you know, what does that mean? What is what is saving a reef have to do with my sunscreen? Oh.
2: Mm-hmm. That's a great example, Erica. That's a great, my partner is with U.S. Fish and Wildlife in Hawaii and they're they're working on ocean conservation and we didn't, we also have to give ourselves some forgiveness that we didn't know. We didn't, you know, there are things that are intended consequences and unintended consequences. I'm sure the person who invented sunscreen that actually was hurting all the corals and the fish didn't want to do that, right? right? So, but now we know, and then, once you have alternatives, then you have, then you make choices with that knowledge. But for sure, Hawaii has made such a commitment now to reef safe sunscreen, and i'm I'm just hoping that again, in lots of our products that we'll be able to to think about the the true again, cost of benefits. we need to do true cost accounting. I know a lot of your talks on this show is much more they're much more there are all kinds of topics, so we're going a little bit more um you know systems level here, but I do appreciate, you know, you're asking these questions and thinking about them and, and wanting to, to translate your own personal knowledge and actions into something that others can benefit from.
1: Thank you. Thank you. And it is ultimately all spiritual anyways, because when we don't do harm towards others, that's the spirituality of it.
2: Very well, you know, I have and will forevermore, you taught me to reframe the murders of crows, to call them a confab. Thank you. I just love it. <laughs> These crows are just chatting together and talking about their day.
1: Yeah, <laughs> they are. I mean, and it's, it's never, I never like that phrase, a murder of crows. It's like, what, what? No, that's, that's not what they're doing. They're hanging out together. They're intelligent creatures, they're social. We could learn a lot from them. So they're just hanging. Yeah. They're not doing anything bad.
2: <laughs> i have one, one other example and, and i don't know how much time you have to talk but i do want to recognize that you know your your audience and, and we'll see how much they're interested in what we're chatting about <laughs> um, but ha- halloween is coming up it's one of my favorite holidays i you know i've large circle of friends and different circles of friends who enjoy different party you know setting up big parties and this one group wants to host a radio show on um, the Night of the Living Dead and, the, and about zombies, right? Okay. That was one of the most traumatic films for me as a child. And I'm so sensitive to violence. I'm so mm-hmm. sensitive to negative imagery. I have nightmares. Like it just, my body, I don't know, maybe it's empathic or what the feelings are in our bodies that some people can handle that. I'm very sensitive to all kinds of senses anyway. Mm-hmm. So I made a choice, even though I really love these friends, I can't go to this party. It's not healthy
1: good for you okay
2: but and I and I had to explain that why I was choosing not to go because it's not because I don't love them I just it's not healthy for me the other reality is we you and I and many of us we are surrounded by bad news yeah we're surrounded by negative energy I certainly and and scary stuff hey I'm scared (laughs) about climate change I'm scared about mass extinction there's Mm -hmm. plenty of things that are scary enough i don't need to explore (laughs) more of that and zombies whatever it looks like there are plenty of people on this planet right now walking in a daze and i want them to wake up i want to help people see that we can make a difference and hey if we die trying at least we've tried you know and it doesn't mean every single one of us has to be a superhero, but that was one of the things that Greta also said, right? She's like, I know I'm different, and some people, sometimes that doesn't work well in social settings. But when she really dials in to her Asperger's, she, was, she put this in a, a tweet, that's a superhero quality. for It her.
1: is so
2: each of us when we talk about this element of spirituality or energy string theory whatever maybe it's spirit whoever whatever it is for each person's faith or science whatever it is for them right for me i think about frequency and energy flow and if that every world religion says has this kind of metaphysical piece to their their faith if that energy flow can, in each of us can channel into doing good work that we can just tap into that rather than shutting it down but like chakra work right mm-hmm. getting that energy flow going through our body that we can serve in our in our most genuine self our our healthiest help, helpful self it's healthy for us it's healthy for others and again on the collective scale I be, I, I can envision a world where we are living in loving, healthy, peaceful, just ways. The world that I can envision, So, there, and we know it's possible. We've
0: mm-hmm. seen
2: it in different societies. It's not something that we can just say, oh yeah, well, that's just dangerous or scary or whatever. It's like, why? You know, part of it's marketing, right? Mm-hmm. How do you tell the story of a, what a, an alternative world could look like? And what would it look like if we lived there together? Mm-hmm. you know, here, here together. I don't mean you have to move, you know, we can change from within, mm-hmm. but if people don't see that and they see that scary that, and they listen to news that's all about fear mongering, then they might not even, ha- their ears might not even be open to alternatives that might even be a better world mm-hmm. for them that they might enjoy. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so I, it's just, I don't know what, I don't know what I can say in a more way, But I certainly I'm hoping in this ability to, you know, I have this handbook on RCEs and I develop trainings and we have worked part of our trainings, by the way, I'm going to do a little sidebar here through gypsum, you hopefully will get to do some of these now, and others listening, we have trained the trainer workshops. So all of this is about, you don't just take a class for yourself. What is it that you can learn that you can share with others? So train the trainer workshops, we work with therapists on developing strategies for hope and resilience on how to face climate change. Both of those, it's not just technological conversations. These are psychological skill sets we have to gain. To develop our own resilience, right, in our own bodies and in our own lives, so we can engage in the world. So I love those workshops that are available. Oh, yeah. you know, and we've worked with a environmental justice activist and scholar who created empowering students through environmental justice. It's a mm. great workshop. All of yeah. those, again, it's taking what we know, sharing it with others, scaling it up. So that's what I'm trying to do with RCEs. I'm trying to do that with Gipson in Portland, but now once the u.s pulled out of unesco i basically got to this place of saying well we're kind of on our own (sighs) right what and what can cities do and what can states do and that's that's who's at the u.n general assembly right now it's our our mayors it's our governors wow yeah if you didn't know that it's the u.s is being represented by our region (sighs) yeah it's very exciting so it doesn't dismiss Just because our federal government might not be playing well with others, that doesn't mean that the rest of us can't contribute in meaning, I should put it all in positives. It means that we all can actually contribute in alternative ways in civil society, again, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our
1: work. Mm.
2: Because you know, the reality is we're all in this together.
1: Yep. Sure. Oh, Kim, thank you so much for this wonderful conversation.
2: (laughs) You're welcome. I just want us all to try at least, you know? Yep. And I hope that it's been inspiring. I'm just going to keep chugging on cuz it's like my our world and our life kind of depends on it.
1: Mhm.
2: Kind of. It does.
1: It does. It does. Thank so, you for all that you do.
2: And you as well. I look forward to working with you more.
1: Thank and you. if people
2: want to learn more about our work, they can go to gypsen.org, G-P-S-E-N.org. And you said that you're also going to share resources on the Eco Challenge?
1: Yes. Give me the, um. say, say the website and I will post it on my website.
2: Yeah. We'll add the links. So Eco Challenge, all lowercase.org. And If you go there, it shows the history of the different ones they've had, as well as the current um, People's Eco Challenge. I do have the statistics now. Um, Just from this Plastic Free One, there -hmm. were over 15,000 people, 776 teams, and 54 countries. Woo-hoo! Right? That's amazing. So this is a global movement. Everybody can participate anywhere around the world. So I'm excited to, again, collective impact. Let's just always keep thinking about about how can we, that each of us matters. Uh And when we work together, it all adds up.
1: It does. It does indeed. Thank you.
2: You're welcome, my dear. Well, I look forward to talking to you again soon and everyone else. Have a beautiful day, evening, whatever that is for you.
1: (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) The action item of the week is to check out the Eco Challenge. It's a little later than when I recorded this, but there's still 12 days left. It's a lot of fun, and you'll get to learn a lot of things. That's it for the week. Until next time, I bid you the highest peace, love, and prosperity. Namaste